0: Acts chapter 14, Uh, Acts 14, if you're using one of the hardback Bibles, you'll find it on page 923. Uh, We're going to read the whole chapter, so uh, I won't ask you to stand. We frequently stand when we read God's Word together, uh, but this is a rather lengthy chapter, uh, but I am going to read it all. So uh, hear God's Word. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, And to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. The grass withers. The flowers fade, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. And we pray, O Holy Spirit, that You would be at work. You have inspired these words. You have preserved these words. And is now Your function within the Trinity, within the triune Godhead, to use these words in Your hand, in Your power, to strengthen and encourage us in the faith to equip us for service in Your kingdom, to prick consciences and and root out evil and sin in our lives, and to bring uh, people to saving faith. Whatever purpose You have for it, would You use it to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If someone were to ask you what the Lord of the Rings is about... Someone said, hey, so the Lord of the Rings, what's that about? What's that book? We'll call it a book. It's a lot of books, but we'll call it a book. Uh, You can call it a movie. It's many movies, but we'll call it a movie. But what's it about? Your answer would no doubt include something like, well, it's really the story of this hobbit, Frodo Baggins, taking uh, this ring, and it's the one ring that rules them all, um, to Mount Doom to be destroyed. There's the summary of uh, the Lord of the Rings. I hope I didn't just ruin it for you. But that's, that's the mission. That's the goal. That's where they're headed. But at the same time, you might also be tempted to say, but there's more to it than that. It's not just the story of Frodo taking a ring in hopes of destroying it, but there's actually all these conflicts and dilemmas and dangers and Problems that they run into along the way. And so, in a lot of ways, it's also the story of, of Frodo and Sam and Aragorn and Gimli and the rest and the conflicts and battles they have to go through on the way. You read the Lord of the Rings with one eye on the ring. Where is it? Who's got it? Frodo, we still good? Don't let Gollum get it. Um, keep it out of his grubby paws all you're right so you read with one eye on the ring, but you also read with your other eye on all these conflicts because you keep thinking they 're not going to make it they 're not actually going to get there every battle every skirmish, every fight every danger every toil every snare that they deal with you think this is it they 're just not going to make it that's the book of Acts. The reality is you read the book of Acts with one eye on the Gospel. Is it growing? Is it advancing? Is it going where it's supposed to go? Because you remember, that's exactly what Jesus told us back in chapter 1, verse 8. He told us, you'll be My witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. So the book of Acts is the story of the growth of... The gospel, the advancement of the gospel, of the, 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 the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, going outside of just the 12, 11 that became 12, and then outside of Jerusalem and, and into Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth, so that by the time the book of Acts ends, Paul's preaching Christ in Rome, the very center of the known world at the time. But you also read Acts with the other eye on dangers, toils, and snares. They keep running into trouble. People are arrested. People are stoned. People face trials and tribulations throughout the book such that it makes you, from time to time, wonder, are they going to make it? Is the Gospel really going to grow or is this going to be the end? Okay, we know because of... When and where we live, we know the outcome. So maybe we lose a sense of that tension, a sense of that struggle of heart as we read the book. But the reality is, we keep one eye on the gospel and one eye on the messengers of the gospel, and we wring our hands. We should. That's part of the point, that's part of the, the struggle of the book. The perils, the dangers that these missionaries face. Well, the reality is, chapter 14 gives us that in miniature. It gives us that same pattern in one chapter. You read chapter 14 and your one eye is on the Gospel. And is it advancing? Is it growing? Is the church growing? But one eye is on the messengers. Not just the message, but one eye on the messengers going, but... They're stoned. They're run out of town. They're beat up. They're left for dead. Is this it? First, I want you to just watch. Keep one eye on the dangers, toils, and snares awaiting Paul and Barnabas. They've left uh, Antioch in Pisidia. That's not the same Antioch that sent them on the mission trip at the beginning of chapter 13. Uh, That's not the same Antioch. They end up at the end of 14 They went back to Antioch. The people that commended them, that's a different Antioch from Antioch and Pisidia. Uh, They leave, at the end of of chapter 13, they leave Antioch and Pisidia. And and some Gentiles have believed the gospel, uh, but there the Jews had incited a a riot. Uh, Men and women of um, apparent power and authority and influence in that community. Uh, and uh, run them out of town. In fact, it was so bad, we're told at the end of chapter 13, that they literally shook the dust off their feet as they left. It's a sign of judgment. It's a sign of uh, your blood be on your heads. You've heard the Gospel. And in the next city in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas began preaching the Gospel in the synagogue. This has been the pattern. We've seen this already. We'll see it again. If the city has a synagogue, that's where they start. The Gospel is for the Jew first and then for the Gentile, Paul writes in Romans. And so that's the pattern of their ministry to begin at the synagogues. But I can't get past the way Luke writes the first couple of verses of chapter 14. Notice verse 2 and verse 4 begin with the same word, but. So, verse 1, you have this positive encouraging, a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Verse 2, but. Verse 3, they stayed and and proclaimed the gospel, and there were signs and wonders being done by their hands. Verse 4, but. You read the first four verses of, of Acts 14 and you feel like you take a step forward and a step back. And a step forward and a step back. But you, you, you do realize the chapter numbers and the verse numbers aren't inspired. Like that's not original. We, we added those for our own ease and our own use. So just you know, keep in mind, it's not like you know, Luke's writing verse 1 and then he writes well, verse 2. Well, let's put but there. But you still are reading four straight sentences of advance, step back. Advance, step back. But notice what's causing this back and forth. This, this, Are we getting somewhere or are we not? Verse 2, we're told the cause. But the unbelieving Jews. The cause of the conflict is unbelief. They've heard the Gospel. They've heard Christ proclaimed. They've heard Christ exalted. They've heard the hope of salvation in Christ and in no other name. And they don't believe. And so this struggle, this conflict is caused by unbelief. Yes, some Jews believe. Some Gentiles believe. We're told in verse 1. But there are others who are going around and they're stirring up opposition. They're... They're gathering uh, people together to oppose Paul and Barnabas and their message. In fact, look at the way their their response is described in verse 2. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. The Gospel is being staunchly opposed by the very people who should have most clearly recognized it. the juice, this, is like, this is like the last piece of that puzzle. You've been working a thousand piece puzzle and it's sitting out on your dining room table and you realize, I have one piece missing. You look in the box, look all around on the floor, you check the dog's mouth, you do all that sort of stuff that you're supposed to do Where's that? And you're thinking, if I had this piece, then everything would be clear and complete. That's that's sort of the, the truth for these Jews. If if they if they have the the puzzle of the Old Testament, and Christ is that final piece that brings clarity to the whole picture, and they're the ones rejecting him and inciting riots, they're inciting people. They're Poisoning the minds of the Gentiles. Look, that's no natural union. So I can do this. Um, I, of all people in the room, I'm the only one that can do this. Uh, But I'm going to do this anyway. I'm going to bring up a sore subject. So last Monday night, there was this game, and my team lost. But one thing that I couldn't I couldn't help but notice throughout the day, Ole Miss people, my Ole miss friends saying go L S U. And 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 spelling Go G E A U X. Okay. You do realize that when Ole Miss people say L S U, the U they really kind of spit. It's more like L S U Like they don't they don't they don't say go L S U for anything except for that. Except for that one time. It's the only thing that could get Ole Miss and LSU people together on the same page for the same goal. The Jews are working with the Gentiles in the only thing they could possibly work together on. And that is to oppose the Gospel. They're not allowed... I mean, the Jews would be unclean hey Gentiles, let's get together and let's unite our minds and our forces and, and voices and we're going we're gonna to work together to stand against Paul and Barnabas. I mean, never mind that I'm going to be ceremonially unclean. Never mind that I'm really not supposed to do this. Never mind that the law stands against me in every way. But that's okay, because this is the greater good. This is the greater need. This is the greater enemy. so the Jews and Gentiles are working together to oppose the Gospel. Nothing will bring sworn enemies together like a greater enemy, a greater threat. In fact, the the opposition got so intense, verse 5, that they actually recruited city leaders. Look, we want to stone this guy, but we don't have that authority. You do. You, you can imagine, you know, you're up for re election next year, and I was your biggest donor last year. Last election season, be a shame for you to lose. They're working with Roman authorities only for the express purpose of standing against the gospel of Jesus Christ. They wanted Paul and Barnabas. Stunned. Like you, you need to understand, there will be people... Okay, I realize, I realize we are in Limestone County. I realize that that makes us one of the most churched counties in the South. That's saying something, right? I mean, you can stand, pick a spot, grab a driver and a golf ball, Pick any spot in Athens and you can hit a couple of churches. Even if you don't hit the ball very far. Which I don't. But you have to recognize there will always be people who hear you talk about Christ and they will want to run you out of town. Maybe maybe not to that extreme. Maybe Maybe not quite to that extreme. Maybe they can't quite get the mayor and the city council on board with that But deep down inside, that's what they want. They want to oppose the Gospel at every turn. There will be people who hear you talk about Christ and they will want you to stop. They will want to force you to stop with whatever means available to them. Don't expect everyone who hears the Gospel fall from your lips to respond in faith. Paul and Barnabas are walking through dangers, toils, and snares in Iconium. So much so that the Jews, the Gentiles, and the these also Gentiles, but still Roman city leaders are all conspiring against them to stone them. Notice when they find out about this, this, this plan, uh, they left. Uh, they went to Lystra Verse 6. If I asked you to... To describe dangers, toils, and snares to the gospel. If you say, "Look, when when you think of um, objections to the gospel, when you think of those dangers and snares that stand out there for the messengers of Christ," I'm pretty sure that what happened to them in Lystra would not make your list. They were confused for Greek gods. Now, we join the gym so that people will confuse us for Greek gods. Right? I mean, we work out an exercise so that people will go, they've got the body of a Greek god. And, and in our minds, that's not exactly the kind of objection or the kind of danger or objection to opposition to the Gospel that you and I would expect. We think of things like being arrested. um, Stoned. That's probably up there. Maybe not in our world, but we get that. Peter's been in prison. Paul's arrested from time to time. There's there's stoning. There's all kinds of of opposition. People running. uh, Missionaries out of town constantly. We get that. We get, okay, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, we get that. That makes sense to us. Maybe it's not that drastic. Maybe for you, it's you don't get invited to those parties anymore because your friends know that you're going to stand for Christ. Maybe it's, it's you lose out on things at work because you're going to stand on God's Word in the Lord's Day and, and you're not going to, uh, going, to, going to do your work on Sundays. And so maybe there's consequences there. But I don't think many of us think of being confused with Greek gods as a danger. Because Paul and Barnabas, Paul commands this lame man to stand up and walk. And he's healed immediately. Completely. I tried to emphasize this as we read it. He sprang up. He didn't get up. He got up better than most of us do. Just get up off the couch. And, the, you know, we kind of had to work our way and some creaking. He hops, he springs up from the ground. Never, ever walked in his life. And immediately the people start going, wait a minute. It's Zeus and Hermes. They're here. The, the Greek gods are actually here. And, and so they reacted, verses 11 through 13, with this amazement. And they. They rush. In fact, the, the, um, the priest of Zeus is a temple just outside the city at the, at the entrance of the city. He goes and grabs oxen and garlands and he wants to make an offering and, and sacrifice animals to uh, Paul and Barnabas to uh, Zeus and Hermes. Paul's Hermes, the speaker, the, the messenger of the gods, Barnabas is the, seems to be the, the leader. And so Hermes and Zeus, respectively. Now, I know that sounds crazy to you. Me. We, we would go, hold on. Zeus and Hermes, really? like I don't understand that. There's a, a Roman poet, Ovid, who wrote a book, who wrote a work called Metamorphoses. Those of you in classical education have probably run across this before. Um, Metamorphoses. And in that work, he describes Jupiter and Mercury, be the Roman names parallel to Zeus and Hermes, actually coming to Lystra and walking around as people, looking for people that will feed them and give them a place to stay. And they were blocked house after house after house, until finally an elderly couple welcomed them into their home, fed them, let them stay. And when they revealed themselves to be Jupiter and Mercury, then they said, we'll grant you a wish. The couple said, well, we want to be priests in your temple, and when we die, we want to die together. And so Jupiter and Mercury granted their wishes. That was written 50 years before these events. So in the minds of these people, they're thinking, wait a minute. We've seen this story. We're not going to make that mistake again. It was just a story. Obviously, Jupiter and Mercury didn't actually come. They're not there. They're not real. But you can see the people going, let's not fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And so they... Gathered up an offering and try to make this offering to Paul and Barnabas convinced that they are Zeus and Hermes, that they are Jupiter and Mercury. And we're told there's a there's a temple for Zeus right there at the entrance of the city. But notice how Paul and Barnabas responded, verse 14. They didn't just walk out and go, guys. They tore their clothes. That's a claim of blasphemy. They know shorter catechism question number five. There is but one only, the living and true God. Okay, the catechism hadn't been written yet. That was 1,600 years later. But they know the truth of that question. And, And if you are ascribing to us the praise and the glory that only rightly belongs to the one true God of of the Bible, the one true God of history, then you're committing blasphemy and we don't want that. They tear their clothes and they run out and put an in and do everything they can to stop this. We're people. We aren't who you think we are. We're not Zeus and Hermes. We're Paul and Barnabas. We're just guys. But and then they turn their attention towards the one true God of the universe. The people had missed the point. Instead of Jesus being great to them, Paul and Barnabas were great to them. And that's a spot reserved for God and God alone. So much so that that's actually a danger, a toil, a snare, an obstacle, an opposition to the Gospel. Paul and Barnum is going, if you're if you think somehow that we deserve some place of, of authority or of honor or that we're the ones to be praised and honored and glorified, then you've missed the gospel completely. And it it broke them. It, they tore their clothes and run out and do everything they can to put an end to this blasphemy. Let me let me just make this one sort of side application real quick. The world you and I live in would be really tempted to say, now hold on, this is pretty close. See, notice that these people have a concept of incarnation. The gods have come to us as people. Well, Jesus did that, that's kind of close. They have a concept of obedience and worship owed to God. They have a concept of blood sacrifice as the only way of acceptance by God. They had an ox. They have a a concept of of responding to the message from their gods. You might be tempted, the world around us would be really tempted to say, that's kind of close. I mean, you're talking incarnation, bloodshed, sacrifice... Um, uh, worship and honor to the God that is... um, to, to God Himself? There are many in the world around us that would say that's close enough. This isn't a problem of disbelief or disobedience. It's a problem of misunderstanding. And that was enough to make Paul and Barnabas tear their clothes. Misunderstanding the gospel is not understanding the gospel. Misunderstanding the gospel is not having the gospel. Unless Christ is the Son of God and the only Savior of sinners, received by faith alone, then it's far enough away to spend eternity in hell. And Paul and Barnabas came out to argue Christ said he is the way, the truth, and the life, not almost kind of like Christ, is a way, a truth, and a life. Don't fall prey to the philosophies of the world today and decide that close is the same thing. That close is close enough. Well, ultimately, in Lystra, Paul is uh, stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead. Uh, Verse 19. The Gospel has always had and always will have opposition. You've got one eye on the dangers, toils, and snares of missions. But then you've also got your other eye on the growth and advancement of the Gospel. Notice just a quick glance. In every city that Paul and Barnabas visit in this chapter, there are converts. Every time. Notice verse 1. Jews and Gentiles came to saving faith in Iconium. But there the Gospel was accompanied by Signs and Wonders, verse 3. These are, are miracles uh, like the healing of the man in Lystra. They're signs and wonders that, that, that came with the apostles to affirm and confirm their message. They were God's ways of announcing to the world that what they're saying is true. And who they are, the offices they hold as apostles are you're to be you're to listen to what to their message to what they have to say and you see that wonder in Lystra when when this man born lame is able to stand and walk uh, but notice that Paul saw in this man that he had faith i don't know how Paul saw that i can tell you there have been times when when you can watch even the facial expressions of people in the congregation change as the Gospel washes over them. And you can almost imagine Paul recognizing that look and commanding him to get up and walk. He's healed completely, instantaneously. And again, as we've said this before, that this sounds familiar because it happened before in Jerusalem with Peter. Um, this is the next world breaking into this one. See, what happens in eternity uh, after death is we are healed completely, permanently. All the effects of sin, whatever those effects may be, broken relationships, Sickness and disease, broken bones, forgetting things, eyesight, ear sight, ear loss. I mean, all those sort of, all those things they go away. We're healed completely in the life to come, and when we get this, you get a glimpse, just a taste of the life to come, is brought into this world, and this man gets up and he's healed even Paul in verse 19 was dragged out of the city stoned and left for dead. Now we don't know. We're not told. Was he all dead? Or was he mostly dead? We aren't told. But we know that they left him for dead, which means he wasn't just sort of kind of... I mean, this is a bloodied, battered, beaten, stoned man. And as far as they could tell, he was dead. The disciples gather around Him and He gets up and goes back into the city like it's nothing. Like he, like he went to Madison for lunch and then came back to Athens. He was out stoned and then He's, okay, let's go back into... this is what we do. We're going to go back. And the next thing we see them doing is proclaiming the Gospel. In spite of all the opposition and all that stands against them. Verse 21, they continued to preach the Gospel and made many disciples. Let me make just two applications. In fact, there's really sort of two parts of the same application. You will face dangers, toils, and snares. You will face opposition to the Gospel. Now, there's we don't know what it's going to look like. I'm not prepared to tell you that this afternoon you're going to tell somebody about Jesus and we're going to be dragging you outside the city limits and stoning you. you know, we're going to take you down to Tanner and stone you. Like it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way necessarily. But you will face consequences. You will face opposition for the Gospel. Jesus told us as much. They've persecuted me. They're going to persecute you on account of me. So it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't be a a shock to us when people react to the Gospel with anger. Not just, I don't know about that, anger. Because we're told there's going to be opposition. Look, there are all sorts of famous-ish people out there telling you that you can have your best life now. Tell that to Paul in Acts 14. If you had more faith, you wouldn't have been run out of town. You wouldn't have been stoned and left for dead. You wouldn't have had opposition from Iconium and other places coming and chasing you in other cities. See, Paul, you just lacked faith. You just didn't have enough faith. Because you could have had your best life now, and instead you got stoned. And so you're obviously, there's something wrong the bible doesn't the bible makes clear that we can't expect our best life now because our best life is the life that's yet to come so there is there is there will be opposition to the gospel so you've got one eye on this these dangers toils and snares as you read through the book of acts but notice Jesus said, you will face trials on account of me. He also said, I will build my church and the gates of Mordor, the gates of hell cannot stand against it. The kingdom is growing. The church is advancing. The gospel cannot be stopped. Yet you and I on the micro level might face opposition. All must work to good for me. We sang a few minutes ago. Ultimately, though we may face opposition on account of Christ, on account of the Gospel, the Gospel cannot be stopped. So press on in the power of the Spirit and the hope of eternity. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this promise of the growth of your kingdom. And we pray that it would grow in us and through us. That we would be a part of that gospel kingdom growth. Here in Athens, in Limestone County, in Italy, in Taiwan, in other places. We pray that you would use us to advance the message of salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone to everyone we know, everyone we come in contact with, and even to the ends of the earth. And we pray that You would grant us the grace to bear up under dangers, toils, and snares that we might face on account of You. All for Your honor and for Your glory and for the good and growth of Your church, we pray. Amen.